Hidden in plain sight captures stories of the rainbow community in the Hepburn Shire. As well as the more well-known and recognised names, we also wanted to hear from everyday people. This includes those living, working, raising families and running businesses in the local community. Not everyone who identifies as belonging to the rainbow community is visible. Okay, so today we would like to invite Yvonne Sillett to our conversations for Hidden in Plain Sight. Welcome to the table, Yvonne. Thank you, Mel and Rosie, for having me. It's good to have you here. Absolutely beautiful to have you. It's good you could take some time off from golf and all your other commitments. Yes, I have been a little bit busy lately, but it's always time for you two ladies. Oh, that's good. Now, while we're on that topic, we'll do current and then we'll go back, baby. Okay. So tell us about all your commitments at the moment. What are you... How do you fill your days now you're retired? Well, my days sometimes can be a little boring, um, but since I spoke at the Royal Commission uh, into veterans, defence and veterans suicide on the 14th of February last year, things sort of heightened after that time because it was quite a powerful moment when I... Day, week... <laughs> when I uh, gave evidence to the Royal Commission. Since then, I've done a lot of contact with people that have come forward saying, that happened to me. You are just amazing. You're inspirational. I don't think I'm amazing. I think I'm just telling my story. And I just think I had the, the guts, if you like, to, to be a spokesperson for many. Uh, a lot of people just, as I did for 30 years, swept it under the carpet. Yeah, so after the Royal Commission, things really ramped up for me and I was became very much an advocate for many in, um, going, sure in going forward in how do you put in a submission. You don't have to do it publicly like I did. You can do a private submission. Um, so I was helping a lot of people, guiding a lot of people. And then I have been heavily involved in the last year with DVA, Defence and Department of Veterans Affairs. Yeah. And, um, and I've been guiding people along that journey too that, that say they didn't know that they had a an entitlement to a white card. So I've helped a lot of people along the way since the Royal Commission. Then I get a phone call to say, would you be interested in being part of the Defending with Pride exhibition at the Shrine? Well, I thought the Royal Commission was the be-all and end-all. But when I got asked to be part of a LGBTI uh, exhibition at the, the Shrine, which was the first time in Australia that any war memorial recognised the LGBTI community, so I said, oh, let me think about that. Of course I will. Um, I, was, I am the only female as part of that exhibition. There are three males, one current serving, uh, one trans man, and one Vietnam veteran, and myself. And that goes for a year. It's been going for six months now, being very successful. So if people wanted to see that, that's down at the Shrine every day? Open seven days a week, until... 10 to 4, until July. Right. It's oh. called Defending with Pride. And on Saturday, I was part of the Midsummer panel at the Shrine, uh, where there were myself and Felix, the trans man, Noah Reisman, who's the author of the Serving in Silence book and the historian that's put me on this path, and a current serving member from Deathless, which is the Defence Lesbian Gay Information Service. So they still are current serving, a lot of them, which is quite ironic when we know what happened to me. But... So he was there as well, and we sat there and we told our stories to the auditorium for the guests that came in for, as part of the Midsummer. And um, it was, yeah, it was quite amazing. The questions that we got asked, 
people that couldn't believe what had happened to us. So that, that was big. That was on Saturday at the Shrine. And um, then yesterday, I, I get a message from a member that was sitting in the audience at the Shrine. And he and his husband had to fly back to Perth. But a similar thing happened to him as to what happened to me. And he didn't know that there was anything he could do. So he hadn't heard about any... No. So he, he was in for four years. He was an officer. And he got kicked out of the army. And uh, he said to me, you were so inspiring. He said... I want to do what you did. <laughs> I said, well, tell your story to the... Um, if you feel you can, tell your story to the Royal Commission. Um, you can do it privately, publicly. But in fact, they're coming to Perth in May, so there's an opportunity there for you. Um, with your mental health, go down the path that I did. Put in a claim for mental health. DVA will accept that based on the way you were treated. And um, so that's what I do now. Just sort of people reach out to me more so than me reach out to mm. them. And uh, today I've been to Hepburn House, which is the aged care facility here in Dalesford, and um, they're getting the LGBTI wing, sorry, LGBTI and friends wing built as we speak. And I've been an integral part of, of getting that education through. We also got the rainbow tick, Max and I, Maxie Prim and I got the rainbow tick or assisted with the rainbow tick for them. So I was over there today educating the staff and some residents that it's okay if people are gay. You just treat them the same. We're all going to age. We're all going to need aged care. We're no different to anybody else. And my slogan is LGBTIQ. I'm loyal. I'm generous. I'm brave. I'm trustworthy. I'm interesting. And I'm quirky. Just because I'm a lesbian doesn't make me any different to anybody else. Yeah. So I told my story. And yeah, they were... They were and, and the other part of my story, which as if that wasn't challenging enough was when my partner and I at the time decided that we wanted to have children. And back in the 90s, you didn't know gay women. What? Having children? Yeah. Um, but we did, and it wasn't legal in Victoria. So first we had to be psych tested, and then my, well, my partner carried the children, but we had to go interstate. We had to cross the border so she could actually be inseminated with, with a donor sperm. So the first time, our first son, it took seven attempts. And that's not just up and back, up and back, up and back. That's the whole getting ready, getting the whole body ready, yeah. processing again. So that took months and months for us to have our first child. And then the second child, only one attempt, but still had to cross the border into New South Wales. Absolutely. <laughs> and he's still like that. So, so that was a challenge as well, coming out of the military and then facing that. It's interesting because you, you mentioned earlier that some people can't believe what you've been through. And part of the reason for doing this for me is we don't want to lose that history because yeah. it's wonderful the atmosphere we have now for the current generations. Yeah. But it's so easy to forget. And you're yeah. talking about, you know, having children when it's not permissible, sort of. And what happened in the in the military that, that that's all changed so much. Well, it's changed so much, yeah. But because of people like you that actually had the courage to actually stand and tell your story. And I wanted to touch on that before, but I wanted to hear what you had to say. At what point did you find the courage to be able to actually say, I'm gonna do this and I'm going to I'm going to have my story heard? That's an interesting story, Mel, because this happened to me in nineteen eighty nine. Yeah. 1989, I elected discharge because I could see no, no career for me. 
after I lost my clearance and I got told I wouldn't be promoted. So I opted to take discharge. At the time of discharge, that's when my mental health issues started. That's when I was, I, I felt suicidal. Um, I thought I didn't have a plan B. What am I going to do? I've always wanted to join the military and now they've chopped this in half. What it was a family thing for you too, wasn't it? Parents were both yeah. Navy and um, uncle was Army and grandfather was Air Force. And so it was always something I wanted to do. So, so when it happened to me, I just really, I was angry for a long, long time. And the only people that I really spoke to about it were my partners, was the mother of my boys, who's my ex-partner for 10 years, my current partner, my wife of 18 years. They heard it a lot. And, um, and so there was a lot of anger there. But in 2006, people said, what were you thinking? I applied to be a civilian with defence. Wow. Only because the pay was good, the conditions were good, and I knew a lot of the defence sort of stuff. And I thought, why am I doing this? Oh, well, I'm, I'm gay, but I'm allowed to be gay now, and it's public service. When did, when did that come through? The ban, well, the ban, the ban from serving members lifted in 1992. Three and years after I discharged. I was going to say, that's so close. Yeah. Three years after I discharged, Keating government said, this is very archaic. Why on earth do we have this in place at all? Uh-huh. So the Keating government lifted that ban, but too late for me. So I just got on with my life when I got out. I, I did some security work. I did some local government work. And then I got a job with the 2006 census. But that was only a temporary kind of job for 12 months. You know, you, you, I was teaching people and I had a, a, a staff of about 50 people at, at the census in, in Melbourne. And it was at that time I thought, federal government? I should go back into federal government rather than state. So that's when I applied to be um, an APS for public service. It happened to be with Defence. So I went there and I got the job and I started there and I, and I enjoyed it. I was doing overseas payroll, so I managed a team of three and whenever a service person gets posted overseas, not deployed to war, but when they get posted overseas, it can be anywhere in the world, we then paid them their overseas living allowance. We were their go-to person, their pay point of contact for that duration. And I loved it, it was a great job. Um, And it was in 2016 I was at work and it was so ironic that here I am working for defence as a homosexual and I got kicked out of defence for being a homosexual and then they're talking about doing a course for understanding homosexuality. And I'm going, I'm so confused. <laughs> You're confused. Yeah. So then, I, then I, on the internet, um, there was uh, this lady um, reaching out to the LGBTI community. Her name was um, Sherlene Robinson. She was a professor of history. And her and Noah Reisman, who's also a professor of history, neither of them served, but both gay, were wanting to, to collate a book on the history of LGBTI veterans. So they reached out in an email of intranet and um, any ex-serving or current serving members, and, and nobody at my work knew that I was. What, well, they knew that I was gay, but they didn't know what had happened to me. And they knew that I served, but they didn't know my discharge. So I went, yeah, that'll be me. So the next week they came down from Sydney, they interviewed me in the pub directly opposite the Department of Defence, how ironic. Yeah. And I just bagged the shit out of them and said what happened to me. And I thought someone's finally wanting to hear my story. There was a reason you got that job. Absolutely. And it was the most cathartic thing. So finally, other than my partners, (laughs) someone really wanted to hear my story. 
and were really interested in my story. And we sat there for three hours. I laughed and I cried and I remembered and I, you know, a, a lot of anger, a lot of hate. And Shirlene Robinson recorded the whole thing. And then um, we jumped forward. They travelled around Australia. They interviewed about 140, 150 ex-current serving ADF people. And now there's a book titled Serving in Silence. And I'm one chapter of that book. And it was from that book. So getting back to what your question was, it was 2016 when Noah Reisman poked the bear. And once he poked the bear, the bear went, I'm going to start doing something about this. So for 30-odd years, I've just lived with this anger and thought, oh, well, that happened to me, that's the way it is. But when he, when they wrote that book and then we had the exhibition, Serving in Silence, as you know, Mel, mm-hmm. at the convent, well, you both know, yeah, yeah, you yeah. both know. Yeah. And, um, and then it's just all has escalated from there. And that's when Danny Liversidge and I, who also, Danny Liversidge um, was Air Force, and Danny got marched off the base. I elected discharge. He had no choice. And coincidentally, we are both living in Dalesford. So we formed a little group, Discharge Lesbian Gay Veterans Association. And we're there for anyone that doesn't know what to do or where to go or who to go to. So we're there. So um, Danny and I put on the exhibition there at, at the convent. And it's really just gone from there. And then Noah said, I think you should give evidence to the Royal Commission. I went, ah, okay. And then Defending with Pride came. So so since 2016, there's been two books. There's been an exhibition. The exhibition now is going to Bendigo Pride this year. Um, Homophonic um, have written a, a piece of music oh. um, titled I Am Who I Am. And Carwin Martin, who's a composer, listened to my story and put that into music. And now Homophonic, who are a, a, a gay um, consort, they've played that piece of music at Chill Out a couple of years ago, at Midsummer, at several several places. So yeah, it's just um, been a roller coaster ride. It's been a great roller coaster ride since 2016 when I finally was able to tell my story to somebody. And the momentum that it's gained, it's it's not slowing down. I mean you know, even today I had people at Hepburn House, people that worked there, the staff there, just came up to me afterwards and shook yeah. my hand and thanked me for telling my story. And the amount of people, the Shrine, they sent me an email today thanking me once again for, for being on the forum. And I've just got to a, a stage now in my life where it, it is what it is. And if that hadn't happened to me in the military, I wouldn't have Jack and Max, my sons. I wouldn't have Helen, my wife. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have the life I have here. I wouldn't be at the Trentham Golf Course, <laughs> I, you know, my life would be very different. So I'm very grateful for my life now. And now that things are finally sort of moving along, only last year I got given a gold card from DVA because I put in a mental health claim. And, and they took responsibility for my mental health based on the way I was treated. And the Royal, the Royal Commission sort of stirred that up a bit. All I'm wanting now is a apology. At the end of the Royal Commission, I'm hoping that their final report will say, you need to apologise, Elbo and Penny Wong, to... I have a feeling both of those... Absolutely, 100%. If it had not been... Our previous government, I doubt very much. Correct, absolutely, Mel. So that's all I'm asking for. And I think once, not if, when that apology comes through, my work is done and, and I then will hand the baton over. 
Now on Saturday, this young serving officer, current serving officer that was there, he called me aside afterwards and he thanked me and hugged me and said thank you for paving the way for us because we are now currently serving all my troops. Everybody knows that I'm gay and my boss knows I'm gay and there's absolutely no issue. So it's thanks to you and people like you for speaking out that we are now able to serve openly. So that was lovely. So that's that's my job. And it's not really my job, but that's what I like to do. In answer to your question. It's your job in life. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge part of that. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I remember hearing you. I come from a very privileged generation where war hasn't been in our lives. The war that we struggle as gay people has and different stories have come about as we've been talking through this. But I was lucky enough to see you talk at Dalesford Chillout last year. Year before. Year before, yeah. Gosh, two years ago, yeah. Yeah. And I've always been quite ignorant, I'm going to be absolutely honest and say, there have been times when in my teenage years, late teenage years, or when I've been working at restaurants and things, I've disagreed with war, the very essence of my being, that I've even struggled to give a minute silence. You changed everything for me. I sat, I listened, I think I bawled. (laughs) I think I saw a tear. I think I bawled genuinely. And I was so interested in your life and in your story and what you did for other people. And to see Danny up there too, Danny just broke me. And I reached out to him as well at that point. But I just want to say thank you so much for having that courage. And I know you say that it it didn't actually, it wasn't the way you planned it, but thank you because without you telling that story, I would still be as ignorant as I was. And I'm genuinely interested in our soldiers now and the people that actually give their lives over to protect and defend us. So thank you. No, thank thank you. I would love to talk a little bit prior to, I mean, the Defence Force is so huge for you, but where were you born? Where, you know, what brought you to Dalesford? What, all that kind of stuff. Who were you in this community? I was born in Oakley, Victoria. So I'm born and bred, I'm born and bred Victorian. Uh, I was a tomboy growing up. You know, there was never any talk of gay, homosexual when I was growing up. You just didn't hear about it. It wasn't on TV like it is now. There was no Courtney Act. There was no education on homosexuals. So I didn't even give it a thought. My mum used to call me a tomboy, so I went, oh yeah, I'm a tomboy. Because I was playing sport from the age of five. I was a little athletics all the way through, and as we know, I still play sport. So I I probably was more masculine than my two older brothers, to be (laughs) honest. When I was young, I I always knew I, I didn't want just a normal job. I didn't want just a normal day job. And as I said, both my parents were Navy, but unfortunately for mum, at the time she married, she was automatically discharged. So so that era, you signed your your marriage certificate, you signed your discharge certificate. I'm flabbergasted. So that's how much has changed. But a man was able to be married. Correct. Yeah, but he wasn't going to have children and be a housewife. So as soon as my mum married, 18 months after serving, she met my dad. So my mum had a very short span because 
she met my dad and they married and she automatically discharged. School teachers, my mother was a nurse, same thing, off you go. You know, when you think about that, you think, well, my mum was a straight lady and she had to get out simply, she married, and you couldn't be gay because they'd kick you out anyway. Mm. So really, who were they targeting? Mm. Anyway, we won't go there. Yeah. Um, so I knew that, I kind of always knew that I was different. Even my brothers knew that I was different. Mum and Dad knew I was different. I was confident. I, you know, I was very good at very good at sport. I was um, I was never going to be just someone that left school and went got married and, and got married and had yeah. kids and had an office job. That it's not in my DNA to do that. <laughs> but anyway, I'm married now. Um, it took me a while. So, so my brothers and I we were born in Oakley. We went to, no, they were born in Darwin because Mum Dad was still in the Navy. They were born in Darwin. Then Dad got out of the, the Navy and came to Vic Barracks, Albert Park Barracks, actually, which then became Vic Barracks. And he worked for the Defence Signals Directorate. So my dad was a spy. My dad was going to be the first person that knew if we World War III was breaking out. Yeah. He had um, higher than a top secret clearance. I never knew what my dad did. People would say, my dad's a painter, a baker. What's your dad do? I don't know. <laughs> He's a public servant. Yeah, but what does he do? Oh, I don't know. He couldn't talk about mm. his job. My dad ended up having a nervous breakdown after being there 30 years because he internalised and he couldn't talk about his job. So I was always curious, what does my dad do? Mm. So, I, you know, I, I went through school. I wasn't an A grade. I was A grade for PE, but I wasn't A grade for anything else. I'd sort of managed to get through. So, yeah, we just grew up in the same family home for, well, the whole time until I went off to join the army. Happy, happy home. Two brothers, mum and dad. We used to drive across the Perth every year, across the Nullarbor before it was made to see mum's family. <laughs> she originally came from England to Perth. Her family remained in Perth. She joined the Navy, came to Melbourne. So, you know, we, we had some great overseas holidays, had a really good life. Mum and dad both worked to, to give us a good life. We were like the Joneses, like the Celettes had a bike, the Celettes had this, oh, look at this, they got this. So we were very fortunate. We had a very fortunate upbringing. Um, my parents loved us dearly and it was a very close family. And then when I, I think mum and dad always knew that I was, going to run off and join the army or join the military and I thought I'd better join the navy because they're in the navy but they were <laughs> taking people into communications at that time and I wanted to do what my dad did so I so I my uncle was in signal corps and he said oh, I think you should join six so I joined the army I got into six and uh, I soon found out what my dad did because I then got a top secret clearance so I served for 10 years premature got out discharged with my partner who was also in signals, but she wasn't from a military background. She was not phased. She went, oh, well, life goes on. I was like, nah, no, I'm not going without a fight. So yeah. that's part of my story as well, the fight that I had. Anyway, we discharged, we went to Perth. I lived in Perth with her for a while. Then I moved back to Melbourne because I wanted to be back because I was very close to my mum and um, lived, lived away from home at that point. But now I'm 28. I don't know how to pay a medical bill, a dental bill, because for, I joined from 18 straight from home. Now you're 28, you've had the army Mm. to do everything for you. Now I'm 28 and I don't even know how to get a reference for a unit or, you know, a bond or, you know, it it, it was like, ooh. Now they have transitioning. You get out of the military now, there's transition cells. My brother-in-law works at a transition cell and and they guide people. We'll we'll give you some money and you can go and get a, you know, this and a job interview and and we'll show you how to... I had nothing. One, because of the way I was discharged and and, and two, because they just didn't have it. So I had to sort of fend for myself when I first got out. I came back to Melbourne 
um, to be closer to mum and dad. And by then, I well and truly knew that I was gay and been in a few relationships. And that's when I started a job at local government at Stonington Council, which was Paran Council, yeah. which amalgamated with Malvern Council. And I became a parking officer. <laughs> oh, hated person. Oh, yeah. I became a parking officer and um, fell in love with my boss, who was the mother of my children. So we ended up getting together. We were together for 10 years and we went through that challenge with, with, with the boys. Did your family know that stage? You yeah, yeah. Mum, mum, yeah. mum and dad, mum and dad. Well, mum, sorry, mum died in 97. Ah. Mum died of uh, melanoma. She was only 61. So she's, last year was tough for me. I just turned 62. Yeah. Um, so I was always very worried Conscious. about last year. Um, anyway, so mum died when she was 61, I was 38. She knew I was gay, but um, yeah, didn't know why I discharged from the army. Dad was a little bit more old school. He was a Korean war vet. He knew I was gay. He liked Norma, he liked Helen, but he never accepted. I was the youngest and the only girl. I was, I was always going to be gay, but he just never really, to the day he died, I don't think he really ever understood it um, or accepted it. So then, yeah, fell in love with my boss. We had the boys, we were together 10 years. Then the tides turned. Then I became a boss. And then Helen came in for a job interview. <laughs> And wow, she's cute. She's, I know Helen. She's got the job. And I was her boss. And I was now in charge of the parking officers. I think because of my military training, um, they sort of said, you can do this. You yeah, yeah. Skills. Because it was outsourced. So, yeah. so a lot of the uh, lo local governments were outsourced back then. So where it went from in-house local government, it was outsourced to a private company. And the private company got rid of everybody except me and said, we need you. You're a trainer, you're this, you're that, we need you. So I then became the, the, the operations coordinator and I interviewed Helen. <laughs> many, I interviewed many people um, and she got the job. And Norma and I had, had just split up before that and uh, Helen and I have been together ever since. <laughs> and um, Was she a good employee? Did she do <laughs> very good. She's a very, she's a very good employee. She's a she's, she's very dedicated young girl. Well, Lady. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she got all the good shifts, she got all the good, yeah, anyway. Um, so we, she soon moved into Spotswood where I lived, which is the house I bought in 98. And um, yeah, and then after I, no, I was still working at Defence and the superannuation for public service was very good. And I had salary sacrifice for many years. So it was when one day I just looked at Helen and said, I could live in Dalesford. She said, what? I said, let's go up there for a drive. We came up. She said, yeah, I could live here. So You've been here up there before? Oh, we come up for chill When was that? 2014. Oh, wow, okay. Cool. Not long ago at all. So you come up for chill out yeah. and Spotswood became very busy. Melbourne was getting busy. Mm. And, I, and I'd never even thought about living in the country, regional. Never. I'm a city girl. And we came up here one weekend. We stayed up here. We stayed down in Hepburn. And I said, I could live here. She said, yeah, I reckon I could too. That was probably the May, because it was a birthday in the October. We came up, we saw a house, we bought the house, <laughs> but we still had the house in Spotswood. This was just going to be a holiday house. And then um, Helen said, I'll go up and do start the garden, because she, she's done an yeah. incredible job with yeah. the garden. And, um, and I continued to come up just on weekends, and I would go back 
to Spotswood and work at Defence as a city. Helen said, is it okay if I just stay up here now? And I said, well, yeah, go for it. So she stayed up here. She got a job at local council. She got a Hibbertshire yeah. council. She got a job there, but still was doing the garden. And I would just come up on weekends. And that was really difficult. But we did that for a while. And then once she got the job at Hibbertshire, I thought, well, I can do the commute. I can. Yeah. So we, we sold Spotswood. We sold at the right time. So we sold Spotswood. I lived up here permanently and I was doing the commute. And it was one day driving to the land that I hit a kangaroo and I was a mess. The kangaroo was all right, but I wasn't, and the car wasn't. And I said, I don't need to do this commute because my super had been so good for the public service. I thought I can just do a three day a week job in Dalesford. And Helen went, you've got to do what you've got to do. And I thought, well, I don't do hospital, I don't do retail. I'm more of an admin person. So I got a job at the Dalesford meat company, butcher shop. Three days a week, working upstairs at the office, just doing payroll. And again, I had been doing big picture payroll. I'd been doing military payroll. All of a sudden, I've got employees of about five, and I had to learn my ob, and I had to learn zero. So, because then I went down to Lavangela and said, Carol White said, can you work for me? I went, sure. So I was working at Lavangela, doing payroll there and bills, and I was working three days a week. That was more of an ABN casual job, but I was employed by... Dalesford Meat Company. So I worked at Dalesford Meat Company and I really enjoyed it. Three days a week, two minutes from home. What's not to love? Exactly, exactly. (laughs) My own office. But that's when COVID hit and we continued to work because we were um, a butcher. Yeah. And I had to pay them. So I continued to work. There was no issue with that until my bosses, no names mentioned, father and son, complete anti-vaxxers, had their own opinion on on the whole thing, and I was fully vaccinated. It was October 21, and um, the father said to me one day, don't worry about it, Yvonne, it's just the flu. And I went, you are, I won't swear. I went home and I said to Helen, I can't do this. She said, can't do what? I said, I'm not working in this small office, and they're walking in, they've been to the sale yards, they've been to Melbourne, to, you know, they're, they're coming into my office, they're not vaccinated. Yes, it's their office, it's their business, mm. but I'm not gonna work. Into your space. Into your my, t- yeah, exactly. Without considering. So I went home and Helen said, you've got to do what you've got to do. She goes, here she goes again. <laughs> uh, so I, so I, emailed, I emailed the son and I said, these are my reasons. I explained my reasons. Mm. And I said, I'll give you two weeks notice and I'll work from home. So I gave two weeks notice. He sent an email back giving his feel and his side of the story and why he's not vaccinated. But I don't care about what you're doing. This is about me. Um, so I gave them two weeks and worked from home for the two weeks. And the rest, they say, is history. I became retired. <laughs> In October 21. Yeah. yeah. And, and the timing was really good, Mel, because it was at that time in October 21 that I put in my submission to the Royal Commission. So it was at that time, at the end of October, I got the first phone call from the solicitor and the barrister, and then it took three months before we even presented it at, at the Royal Commission. It doesn't just happen. There was a lot of work yeah. going into that. So I said to Helen, I'm going to Port Ferry. She said, what do you mean? And I said... I'm going for a week, I'm renting a house, I'm going to put, and off I went. And that's where I did a lot of the initial groundwork for the Royal Commission down in Port Ferry. And um, I haven't really looked back. I I get a little bored occasionally. I can't play golf seven days a week. Um, But I just got myself a little little kind of casual sort of ABN job, just doing some data entry for a local business in Dalesford. So yeah, that's me. And then my dad died in 19, no he didn't, he died in 2014 just after we bought here. 
which kind of was timely because if we were living here your story the whole story sounds very timely mm. you know but it's what you make of it too i guess yeah 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 because when we bought here i thought oh dad's in aged care i'd have to go down there mm. but then we bought and then he died our settlement was really close to christmas 11th hour uh, like 22nd of December and dad died on the 29th of December wow. yeah so so that you know he was 86 he didn't he didn't want to be in aged care mm. he had broken his hip twice in one year he had, you know so it, it was as you said it was time so and now I'm estranged from my two brothers because ever since my parents have died they've always thought that I'm a little bit different and I am I'm very different to them I don't think they've ever accepted the fact that I'm gay when you say that, like, accepted, I think this is what we're, we're talking about, yeah. hidden in plain sight. It's actually not for anyone else to accept, exactly. is it? It's got nothing to do with you. It doesn't affect you. It that's doesn't, right. Just understand and let me be me. Well, that's the yeah. word, too. I should say understand. They don't understand me. They've never understood me. And even though this Defending with Pride exhibition and the Royal Commission has been quite public, a lot of people, even my auntie and parents, said, you were just in my lounge room on the TV, you know. <laughs> Not once in 12 months have my, either of my brothers said, we saw you on TV, you spoke well, good on you, we're going to the Defending with Pride exhibition at the Shrine. Not once has either of my brothers reached out to me and, and said, you know, good on you or not good on you or, or something. Or anything. Nothing, yeah. Not a word. So I've chosen now to go... And my new family is Helen's family, who are very supportive. She's got two sisters and a brother and a very sick mother at the moment. But they're my family now. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's great. And they love me for who I am and, and treat me well. So, yeah. I find that really sad. Your brothers are obviously uncles too, to your boys. Well, yes and no. Did my oldest brother... Any no, my oldest brother's never met Jack and Max. <gasps> Um, because my eldest brother and I have been estranged for a long time, virtually since mum died. Um, my middle brother has met Jack and Max, but I didn't give birth, so my father never looked at himself as a grandfather to those boys either, because I wasn't the one that gave birth. Those boys absolutely adored my dad, and my dad loved them, but he said, no, they're not, they're not my blood. So my dad was... Yeah, he, mm. he, yeah, but Jack, the day that dad was... Not long off dying, Jack sat with him all day and just held his hand. Those my boys adored Dad. Um, so no, no, my brothers definitely are not uncles. I'm not an auntie in any way. My brothers never had children. They couldn't have children. Um, I think I've always just been different. And, and not just about my sexuality. I've just been different. Mm-hmm. And I'm more worldly and I'm more sporty and I'm more confident. But that comes, from, that comes with being different. Yeah. Uh, all of a sudden you have... Um, a bigger open picture as to accepting everyone who walks on earth just yeah. because you have as much right to be here as I do yeah and d- different is beautiful I'm happy being different I love being different yeah I love it I'm left-handed I'm a lesbian or something else I can't remember there was a third thing I can't remember but um yeah I, I love I love being different I hate to be just that sheep, and I'm not a sheep, and I don't follow. You know, if it's, I probably you, you probably had to when you were in the army, didn't you? You had to, or you'd get in trouble. Yeah, but, but you um, still had a voice. Oh, for and sure. You used it. I think I'm using my voice now more than I've ever used my voice, except when I was a drill instructor and I was yelling at recruits. Then I used my voice, but in a different way. But yeah, and that comes with the experiences that you've had. Yeah. Like you've got that story now to share and tell. All those experiences of why 
the story needs to be heard. Yeah. You have this voice with a, a conversation that is going to make a difference for other people. I feel sad for your sons, but they're obviously two very, very beautiful boys. My boys, my boys have their own, so from, they are gorgeous boys. Yeah. They're gorgeous human beings. When we split up back in, um, when their mother and I split up in 2004, she moved out to be with her parents. And they lived in a place called Harkaway, which is out in Berwick, and they're on 23 acres. Um, so Norma and the two young boys, they were only little then, they moved out to Harkaway. Norma still lives in Harkaway to this day. Her mother has since passed, but their grandfather was the male role model bringing them up. So he, he's the one that only has a short time to live now as well because he's quite unwell. So he's been their role model and Norma's got two brothers. So she's had, the boys have had their, those two uncles. Um, they've had their grandfather, you know. So they've had that male role model. So they did, certainly didn't need my brothers in their life. My brother's immature, um, just, I'm glad that they're not a part of my boys' life. So my boys are wonderful, you know, um, they, they're both here, Jack's come down from Queensland because his grandfather's oh. not far from dying and he's got pancreatic cancer, has been given a month to live. So the boys are just spending as much time as they can with him. So with him um, and with Helen's mum, three of my closest people, three of the closest people are now really hurting and going through a time that I went through 25 years ago when I lost my mum to melanoma. So it's going to be a tough few months, but I think once we get through these deaths, yeah. well, then I'll, I think I'll, mm. I'll sort of be able to uh, play more golf. So <laughs> <laughs> it's golf. Crunch more numbers for someone. <laughs> That's it. Yvonne and I have played a few rounds together. Yes. Not, not recently, but... but We'd love to say. Oh, we're actually we're actually fairly even. Yeah. Oh, nice. handicap just just yeah. up and down, up and down. Yeah. yeah. We had a little bit of competition in the early days. Yeah. But this is how you hear stories. You yeah. Know, hear stories. Walking along the fairway. Yes. Yeah. No, I love my golf, and I love I love Trentham Golf Course. I love the ladies at the club. Yeah. yeah. So it's just really nice. And coming here to have my porridge and my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> that's a chaplain's place. Yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> yes. Where do you have your porridge and, and coffee? Is that chaplain's? <laughs> Um, every Wednesday, I usually get a, a, I'm on the way a message, I'm on the way, 20 minutes, I'm like, God, I missed it. Okay, great. Porridge on. She'll be here in 10. And I walk in. And I, be- I believe Yvonne got porridge even when it wasn't on the menu at one stage. I think Probably. so. Yes. Yeah, Louise is pretty special like that. Yeah, she's good. She's if someone good. likes something she does, she'll mm. absolutely <laughs> bow down. <laughs> I was walking in and my little seat was reserved and... I wouldn't say a word, I'd just walk in, sit down, <laughs> porridge appears, coffee appears. And that's beautiful. That's how we got to know one another, yeah. you and I. And mm-hmm. I think at the time, you met Fiona, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Fiona, my ex-partner, mm-hmm. um, is a club champion of Hepburn Golf Club. Yeah. So mm-hmm. We I used to talk golf. You two yeah. connected on that level and yeah. I glaze over. But I have, I have walked that course many times. Watching her play championships. Um, good on you. And Horrible absolutely course. loved it. Loved it. Oh, for me, it's nature. Yeah, it's yeah. getting in. The yeah. kangaroos out there. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. absolutely stunning. Yeah. So I think my next chapter, once I finish my role of, of what I'm doing now, I think we'll relocate to the south coast of New South Wales. Yeah, beautiful. Because the weather in Dalesford does, winter weather in Dalesford mm. does my head in. Mm. And I want to get out there and I want to be paddling on the river and I want to be playing golf and 
you know, so that's what we'll probably do. Retirement will be on the south coast of New South. Your next retirement. Yes, <laughs> retirement number well, two. No, 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 no. Well, Helen's not retired. Oh, so when Helen retires... When you're both fully retired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you two got married last year? Yeah, we year? did. Um, April last year, we went on the Becky Cole road trip, and that was pretty yeah. amazing. It was, in fact, quite an experience on many levels. And we'd planned to come back into Sydney and have Helen's 60th birthday at the Glenmore Hotel at The Rocks. And six months... I, I had been in the planning phase of that for about 12 months, knowing that we were going away and being on a road trip and coming into Sydney to, to celebrate that. So it had to be organised within an inch of its life. And then I said to Helen about six months prior to that, I said, do you want to get married? What do you mean? <laughs> I said, do you want to get married? She said, when? Is that how you asked her? No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm actually going to go back to 2017. I would like you to do that. I'm going to go back to <laughs> Tell us the whole story. The whole story. When we had to vote. And I'm sitting at home here in Dalesford and Tilly was on my lap, a little dog, and Mad got, yeah, it's me, yeah. So I jumped up, Tilly's gone through the roof and I'm sort of dancing around and I ring Helen who's at the Shire and I said, oh, do you want to get married? I said, it's all official. And she goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how you asked her. <laughs> On the phone. Do you want to get married? I said she didn't. <laughs> yeah, she rang her. She didn't text her. Yeah, I rang <laughs> her and I, I was excited. I said, it's just come through. And she said, no. Nah. What do you mean, no? Nah? She said, well, I'll do it one day. Yeah. She said, we don't need to do it now. Just Russian, to be legal. Yeah. She said, we'll do it one day. So over the years, we did talk about it. We talked about wineries and we talked about where we wanted it. And then we started adding up numbers. And if I invited one of my <gasps> teammates from mm-hmm. my touch team, I'd have to invite 20. And it just really got ridiculous. And then I said to Helen, look, in probably six months prior to May, oh, yeah, this time last year probably, I don't remember. I said to Helen, let's just get married at your birthday. I said, if you're okay with that. I said, because your mum's going to be there, your mum's ageing, your mum doesn't need to travel to Dalesford, rah, rah, rah. And she goes, that's fine. I went, oh, okay. <laughs> All right, let's not tell anyone. Beautiful. Surprise. She says, yeah. not tell anyone. I said, yeah, let's not tell anyone. She said, well, who's going to be our celebrant? And a friend of ours lives in Ocean Grove, and she'd married a, another friend of ours. And um, so we got on to Leslie. We went to Ocean Grove. Uh, Leslie, we had a meeting with her and her partner, Louise. And we said, let's keep it quiet. And we did. We told nobody. Not even our witnesses. We didn't tell a soul. Even the girls that we travelled with on the Becky Cole road trip, we were together 24-7. Mm-hmm. One of them was the witness. We'd got our rings all done mm-hmm. leading up to it. We had our rings with us in the car. We sang our vows, so we practised our vows as we're driving around on the Becky Cole trip because we're in our own car and they're in their yeah. car. So we sang our vows, we practised that, and, yeah, we, we sort of worked it out right down to the last millisecond of what was going to happen. And then driving, um, we'd split with our friends because we went to Tamworth, they went somewhere else, and then I get a phone call, Kat's not very well, she ended up having COVID, and her partner, Helen, is my bestie, was going to be our witness... Oh. We're heading home. They didn't know that they were coming to a wedding, but they couldn't have anyway because of COVID. Oh. So they've gone. I went, oh, there goes my witness down the highway. <laughs> so we ended up going to the Glenmore and we were on the rooftop overlooking the Opera House and we had a little cocktail cart and all the guests arrived. I said, make sure you're there by 12.30. They all went up to the rooftop and they're all there, you know, cocktails and stuff. I said, we're going to do something really unusual. Oh, we're gonna, love it. I love it. I love it. We're gonna have the uh, the speeches first. So they're thinking sixtieth oh. speeches. Get, said, get, get that out of the way. Get it out of the way <laughs> because later on we can all just have a talk. 
Okay, ladies and gents, I just, there was only um, tw- 19 people. Was no, 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 that included us. There was only 17 people there because our witnesses had gone down the highway. <laughs> and COVID. I said, uh, I'd just like to introduce you to a friend of ours, and that was a celebrant. None of them knew who she was because mm-hmm. they'd never heard of her yeah. or seen I'd like to introduce you to a friend of ours, Leslie. So Leslie came in. And she says, uh, this is on the rooftop in a little kind of area. We had our own little section. Her partner, Louise, started playing Bruno Mars. I think I want to marry you. Nobody really got it. Nobody was really kind of, they were all looking, thinking, this is Leslie. You could see them. Mm-hmm. And Helen and I sitting up front. And Leslie said, um, lovely day. You know, I've known the girls for 10 years. We're know. gathered here today. No, no, no. <laughs> she said, I think it's a nice day for a wedding. And we're looking at the group, and the group are all just standing there going, yeah. and then Chelsea, who's Helen's niece, who's just finished law, what What now? What, what today? And Leslie said, yeah, why not today? Yeah. And then everyone's gone, ah! And poor Helen's mum sitting there, she just about had a heart attack. She's like, what, what's going on? You know? Oh, how special. Um, so... Leslie sort of, we turned up Bruno Mars and uh, Leslie said, you know, what was happening. It was very untraditional, very untraditional. Chelsea had always wanted to be our flower girl from a very young age. Chelsea's known, I've known Chelsea, well, Chelsea's now 25. I've known Chelsea since she was five or something. And and I said to Leslie, just say, Chelsea, where's Chelsea? She said, I'm here. I know you want to be the flower girl, but how about the ring bearer? You can be the ring bearer, oh, and Chelsea's like, what? Yes. And the witnesses today are, and I had to get a last-minute witness because mine's gone. We had to get one of our neighbours who actually, from Darlesford, who oh. had actually come up to, to the wedding, uh, to the 60th. I said, can you, can you be our witness? No, 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 we didn't even ask her. I, I think we said to Leslie, she oh. and she. Yeah. So they, the witnesses didn't even know they were witnesses until they got called <laughs> out. And not one person knew, not one. It was it was fantastic. We sang our vows. Um, oh, Captain and Tennille. Oh, oh yes. Love. Yeah. So we did that and did a verse of that each. They were yeah. our vows. And um, Chelsea came out and handed the rings. And Julia sat there and said to Helen, "Did you know you were getting married today?" <laughs> and Helen said, "Yes, Mum. By law, by law, I have to know. I had an inkling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right." So yeah, we, we got married and then we went downstairs into the dining room, which was a private dining room, and turned it into a six year. Congratulations. That's such a beautiful story. Yeah, it's a great story. I love that story. So yeah, it took eighteen years, but we got there. Yeah. And you didn't do it just because we were allowed to. No. Yeah. No. Which I actually understand. Yeah. Yeah. Are you and Alice married? No. 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 We talked about it and we thought, mm, not actually. Yeah. The reason we sort of, because we were never going to do it, yeah. we all talked about it, talked about it, no. And then we spoke to a couple of really dear friends that actually came to our wedding, that been together 40 years, met in the army, both served 20 years. Yeah. And um, anyway, they're, they're really good friends of mine, and I always lay it on them saying, oh, no, you they're a straight couple? No, they're two women. Oh, okay, so they actually... He's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. They got, yeah. went under the radar. Yeah, I have some friends that have gone under the radar. Oh, a lot more have got under the radar than got treated like that. And that's the thing with my story is that why was I singled out when there are so many? Why was it just this small group at that place? It was wrong place, wrong time, really. Same for Danny, yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. So so these these two friends of ours, um, we were talking one day. They live in Yakandanda, just out of Yak. And we were talking one night, just the four of us at a dinner at her place, at their place, and 
we started talking about the legalities of being gay and you know, I, I would hate to be, for example, in aged care and have dementia when my brother walks in because he's my next to kin. You know, oh. so there was a lot of things in relation to the legal side of things. Yeah. Although a lot is more accepting now. You're 100% yeah. super and, yeah. you know, your beneficiary yeah. can be your same-sex partner. Yeah. But there were just a few little things that we spoke about and I went, nah, let's just do it. You know, and unbeknownst to us, they came to our wedding in May last year and they called us aside and they said, we got married in July last year. <laughs> they got married up in, on the beach with two yeah. friends and nobody knew. Yeah. But they told us purely yeah. because we had just done the same thing. So it's more about the legality thing mm. and that, you know, as we, as we get older. Do you think that marriage appears differently to us because of the battle that we had to do? Because the yes vote actually was more about equality uh, rather than actually just being allowed to marry. It was about mm. us being equal. equal. Yeah. Um, and so marriage, I, for me, I guess it's not religion. It's not anything like that. It's, it's Absolutely. about the equality yeah. and just having the same goddamn rights. Yeah. And yeah. that's exactly like today when I spoke over at Hepburn House, you know, I, I really tried to just put it out there that it doesn't matter your colour, your religion, your sexuality, you know. Your gender. All, all of that. You, yeah. It doesn't matter. We are all going to need aged care in, in the future and we need to treat everyone the same. And that message just doesn't get across because the shrine, when they were putting on the Defending with Pride exhibition, they got so much hatred yeah, and, 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 and terrible threats and the lights aren't going to shine because, you know, that's not fair. They shouldn't be doing that. You know, it's... Um, yeah, but it's it's 2023, for goodness sakes. It's interesting, there's that perception of the military being bloke in uniform. Yeah. I was in the CFA for over a decade, and it's that same, you know, CFA yeah. heroes, it's the bloke in the uniform. Yeah. When you actually look at the makeup of any of those things, and I'm sure the military yeah. is the same, that is not necessarily the majority. Yeah. That, that's the minority, because there's all sorts of people make up and lots of women. Yep. Yeah. Aside from the military stuff, you're in Dalesford, there's chill out, there's midsummer down in Melbourne, you're sort of involved in all of those. How do you see the direction of the rainbow community and how do you do you feel you're part of it? Yeah, I, look, I do feel like I'm part of it, but I'm actually not as involved now. Like yesterday was Pride down Pride Bunch. Yeah. And, and years ago, when I lived in Melbourne, I couldn't miss out on Pride. I had to go to Katani. I had to do this, had to do that. Couldn't miss out on Carnival at Midsummer. Mm. You know, when I lived in Melbourne, it was very much part of that, meeting more my mates. And, you know, I, I was really um, involved and engaged with that. Mm. Um, since we've been up here, you'd think, oh, well, chill out. And Dalesford, yeah. Um, and the first few years, yeah, you know, we, we went down and we watched the parade and we went to Carnival and we went to Carnival last year and we caught up with Mel and we actually shared the same tent. Yeah. But I'm just doing other stuff now. You know, this sort of stuff is sort of um, not consuming me, but this is what I'm enjoying doing mm. more so. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm not going to be here for Chill Out this year. Mm. I'm actually going away Saturday week for three weeks. And that's, that's not why she was so hard to nail down for this. <laughs> that's <laughs> deliberately not an avoidance of chill out, but I'm not sad that I'm going to miss chill out either. So, 
So for me, I think it's great what's going on, and I think it's 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 big. It's you know mm. chill out and and midsummer getting bigger and bigger. But for me, I'm sort of Helen and I remove ourselves a little bit from that. You got other things you want to do, do as well. Think, yeah. yeah, and we're just more homebodies now. Yeah, yeah which I never thought I would say. But this is, I agree. This is something I can connect to. But do you think that? Going back, never missing the events, all that kind of stuff. I was the same, never missed it. And as you get older, I'd like to suggest that it's because it's not such a big deal that we're gay anymore. Yeah, exactly. We don't need the safety in numbers exactly. as much, or maybe that's just our story. And we're settled down. You, you don't need anymore. to go to those things to belong. Even though I am out and proud. Yeah, yeah, you know. It's not yeah. about, you know. The next generation is yeah. like, come on, guys, let's actually neutralise this. Yeah. Let's include everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've created a beautiful home. Helen's created the garden. We've got a lovely home. We've got a lovely space. Mm-hmm. You know, we can sit on our deck. We can look out over Mount Franklin. You know, we can sit in our beer garden under the birches, you know. Give me that any day now other than, you know, going yeah. out and, mm-hmm. and and going to carnival or... Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I think it's there. It's there for the younger generation. You know, I'm 63 this year, you know. I <laughs> can't believe it, but anyway, I am. And, yeah, I've been there, done that. But also, your story's documented. And yeah. this is what we're about. Mm-hmm. It's about having that story for generations to come so that you don't get... Your fight, your conquest doesn't ever... And and that's right, and that's exactly what they said at the shrine the other day. It will always be a part of the shrine, no matter um, the ex, uh, the royal commission. You know, my extract will be there forever. Um, that's that's just going to be on record forever. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty happy pretty happy with with what I've achieved in a short time. Just by Noah Riceman saying, "Do you want to tell your story in 2016?" And you know, discharging in '89 to that point. That, that was a big chunk of my life where I got on with my life. We had our boys and we brought up our boys and but it was still there in the back of my mind, you know. And now, bang, it's just all out there. And people say, stop telling your story because it's going to stir up stuff, you know, the layers. And I go, no, no, I'm beyond that now. Yeah, that all said you. That, that, I was going to ask start. you that about because I, I know the first few times the, the emotion was still very much there. Yeah. But... Is that still as intense or is that... Uh, look, I think it is. I think the emotion is still there. In fact, one of the ladies today um, from Hepburn House as we're leaving, she said, the passion, the way you told your story with so much passion, mm. she said, after all these years, she said, I could only imagine mm. the hurt that you felt at the time, mm. if this is how passionate yeah. you still are, all yeah. these years yeah. later. Yeah, um, yeah uh, Helen said, don't get to talking about that because she just knows <laughs> then that, you know... Uh, the um, wife said, don't go in yeah, there. <laughs> so the big question that you've asked, which I love, is what do you what do you hope for our rainbow community in the future? That we can just not even be a rainbow community, just be a part of the community. Hidden in plain sight. Just blend in yeah. and be part of the community. You know, people don't walk in and go, my name's Jack and I'm straight, you know. I mean, it, we just don't need to do that. It's... That's been our argument for a long, oh, long time, hasn't absolutely. it? It's like no straight people have to actually come out yeah. on a regular basis, yeah. nor are we interested. That's exactly so right. So why can't you show little interest in us other than what we contribute? Or 
And that's exactly right. It's what we contribute. And that's why I spoke before about that slide that I had, the LGBTIQ slide, and I talk about loyal and generous and brave. It's like we're just the same as everybody else. You just happen to love yeah. something that wasn't normal at well, the time, of, yeah. but it was to us. But what? where I, when you talk about being normal, when, you know, when you hear people, because um, I've had a few trolls with, with stuff, you know, nothing... I've had more positive than negative, and with the trolls, I just ignore it. Mm -hmm. And then you get people coming out, you know, but the Bible says this. Yeah. And then you go, do you adhere to everything that the mm -hmm. Bible says, or are you just taking out these little bits? Cherry picking. Sort of, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, you know. So, uh, I, yeah, I, I've had a, a few trolls, and the Shrine has had a few trolls about this exhibition. <laughs> oh, the veterans are all over in their graves. <laughs> I'm a veteran. I'm a veteran, and I'm gay. But I'm still a veteran, so and I put up my hand to serve our country. So, you know, these these people, like my dad's generation, Korean War vets, would not even... No one was gay that served with me. Oh, rubbish. Yeah, uh, They've been whatever. serving since World War One. you know. Anyway, sorry about that. And sometimes I think, I haven't witnessed that for so long, I forget, that it's actually still there. And it's people like you, your story... We keep telling it with pride, it's important, and we change people. People's you know, minds. for me, I've been very fortunate. I've never I've never really been bullied. I've never been harassed, mm. except from my employer, the Department of Defence, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and that's mm. my story now. That's what's changed my life. But um, I've been accepted, really, um, everywhere I've been. I've accepted when I joined Trenton Golf Course, I've been accepted... Everywhere I, I sort of go, my touch team 30 years ago went, oh, yeah, bring Helen along or Norma along or whatever, you know. Um, and, and and they're my closest people now, yeah, my touch yeah. people, my golf people. And Yvonne's Yvonne, it doesn't matter about anything else. It's more you about know. your handicap, isn't it? That's right. What's, What's your handicap? handicap? 27. What's 30. Yeah, she's, uh, she's overtaken me badly lately. So. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, thank you, Yvonne, thank for coming in. so, so, so much. Talking to us. You're yeah. very welcome. Thanks yes. for having me. Yes. And Appreciate for making time because we know that you're really busy. In your but position. Also, when I asked you and invited you to do this, straight up, yep, absolutely, what can I do? When can I be there? <laughs> and that is so important yeah. to contribute to what we're trying to do here. So thank you. Always. Like I like I said, or like the Shrine just thanked me before and said, you know, um, thank you for what you've done. I go, well, I'm just, I'm just available whenever you want because it's a story that needs to be told and I'll keep repeating it. Even when I'm done and dusted and we've got the apology, if someone did reach out to me, I'm not going to say no. Yeah. You know, I still will contribute to it, but I just won't be so involved with it. But hopefully your story ages with you and what comes up behind you is nothing like what you've experienced. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Hidden in Plain Sight is brought to you by us, Rosie Hill and Mel Thomas. It is produced in the Hepburn Shire, Jajawarong country, soon to be the land of the big rainbow. We thank you, our listeners, for listening. We would especially like to thank our guests who have agreed to be interviewed. It isn't something we take for granted, and we deeply appreciate their trust in us and bringing their story to you. We hope our conversations have inspired you but if it has also raised uncomfortable feelings or recalled difficult events in your own life, please reach out for support. Some ways available for help are 
Gay and Lesbian Switchboard, Rainbow Door, 1-800-729-367. Also, SMS and email support are available. Lifeline, 131114. And Beyond Blue, 1300-224-636.